What is up, Podheads? Back with another episode of the Podio Slay Podcast. My name is Tony. The birds are chirping. The sun is shining. I have no idea. I'm recording this two weeks prior. But you guys, Anthony, Nate, we're back. How we doing? Phenomenal, man. I'm doing I'm doing awesome. Nate, how you doing, man? You doing good? I'm doing good too. I like I like the uh, like fake metaverse type birds chirping like digital landscape uh, you just yeah, pre- presented. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm doing great, man. I've, I'm back in Cali. You got hung out with you guys back east. That was fucking great. And now we're back to nerding like we do. That's right. You you come out east and we we only hang out once. <laughs> Twice. I got to go to a show with him. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. I mean, like we talk about, right? Logistics. It's tough to be an adult these days. That might come up in the interview you're going to hear in a couple of minutes, actually. So, but yeah, we had a phenomenal conversation tonight. Anthony, who did we talk to? Dan Lamelli, OG drummer. Yeah, pretty much OG, OG drummer of uh, Incendiary. And I was just thinking about this. So we on this podcast have, uh, we have our house bands, right? We always talk about house bands, Deftones, Rage. But those are all legacy acts. As far as modern bands, I think Incendiary is a house band. I think you're right. And Dan and Brendan are now one of two pairs coming from the same band, similar to when we had Killswitch with Jesse and, and Justin on. So it doesn't happen a lot. So yeah, I would agree with you there. They're likely a house band at this point. House band status, cemented. Cemented. <laughs> cemented. Anyone that's listening in California would know this is like the secret menu at In-N-Out Burger. It's like not on the menu, but Twan presented and like, hey, do you know about this one? No, dude. I'm going to order it every time now. Hell yeah. Hey, is, is animal fries, like animal style, is that off menu or is that? That's the menu. That's exactly That's what menu. it is. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See, I'm not even from the West Coast. And I know and we that. Might even, this might even be going out to a bunch of vegans right now, too. So who knows? <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> hey, you can get uh, grilled cheese. Oh, you can't French do fries that, are right? fine. French fries are fine as long as the oil's good. Yeah. My, bro- my sister-in-law's boyfriend's a vegan. He's good shit. So I, I, uh, I've, I've lived that life on a, you know, an afternoon. But yeah, man, Dan Lamelli of uh, Incendiary, we talk Little Long Island, we talk his come up, we talk the new album, which is Change the Way You Think About Pain, comes out May 26th, Closed Casket Activities, Closed Casket's killing it, and this album's no exception, we've listened to the whole damn thing, and uh, if you like Incendiary, you're gonna fucking love this, if you don't like Incendiary, I think you're still gonna love this record, so we, we talk all about that, what else we talk about? Well, I don't know how they wouldn't like Incendiary and have clicked on this episode. So <laughs> pretty excited about this entire conversation because it does kind of veer off into different adult conversation, which is fun. And uh, hearing, hearing Dan's perspective on putting together songs for, for Incendiary is pretty yeah. badass. I'm excited about people getting to hear that here in a couple minutes. Yeah, exactly. So if we are the gateway drug to a band like Incendiary, you're welcome. And Good point. Now. Yeah, we're sorry, we're not sorry. We're going to get into it right now with Dan from Incendiary. Let's go. Hey guys, Tony here. If you like what you hear, you like any of this scene, we've got some other episodes for you guys to go back and check out. We've had uh, Harold and Joey of Koyo on. We've had Brennan Garone, the frontman of Incendiary, way back on episode 46, I believe. We've had Chris Link of Terror and Cruel Hand, who comes up in our conversation coming up here as well. And yeah, many, many others. 
uh, Brian McTernan, uh, producer extraordinaire uh, back there, and Peanut from 311, and Frank Turner, and all kinds of different people. So worth your time. Go back, check out the back catalog. Fun, fun stuff back there. Thanks. When the well dries up, the bread has turned to crumbs. They'll look down at the street and use the stones to speak. Every window deserves a brick. Every window deserves a brick. Every window deserves a brick. Every window deserves We're here. I was going to say live in the flesh, but it's we're, we're over Zoom with uh, Dan from Incendiary. How are you doing? Very well. How are you guys doing? Awesome, man. Better Excellent. now. Because yeah, if we weren't man. chatting with you, it would just be the three of us, and it's just not ah. as fun. We'd be yeah. wishing we were talking to you like, oh, man, maybe, hopefully someday. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, we had uh, Brendan on, your front man, mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast. A couple of years ago, we did a whole Long Island deep dive episode. Oh, wow, and, fun. And one of the things that he mentioned was, just talking about the history of Long Island, Long Island bands, was VOD, yeah. in their prime, could pull a thousand plus people on the island yes. at like the PWAC and how much of a feat that was. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, that was two years ago we chatted with him. Fast forward to now, Dan, that's you guys. You guys can pull a thousand. Yeah, but here's the difference. There was no internet when VOD was doing it. And it was like all locals. There was like no touring bands, no like direct support, you know, and it was at a goddamn warehouse in Wontaw. <laughs> you know, so like that's big, big difference, but thank you. That's very, uh, very sweet of you to say. <laughs> no, no, Twan, uh, taking a six hour bus ride down from Maine to check you guys out. You would do Twan, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I did it two weeks ago. I went down to the Silent Majority uh, reunion. Oh, yeah, man. Those. Did you go? Worth a trip. I couldn't make it. I had uh, prior family engagements on uh, both of those days. So unfortunately, I missed it. I think I'm going to try to go down to This Is Hardcore when they're playing, though, because uh, they're playing the same day as Gorilla Biscuits. And I'm like kind of close-ish friends with the bass player from Gorilla Biscuits. Uh, like our kids are about the same age. So and he kind of like hangs out like his wife is friends with a lot of our friend group. So we you know see him every once in a while for like kid dates and stuff like that. I love the uh, transparency. We, we can relate. There's family <laughs> obligations. You know, we're all adults yeah. here. So, like, you can't just Seriously. go on a whim. It's, a it's not as easy when you're, as when you were, like, in your late 20s, your early 30s, even, when you could just kind of, like, yeah, I just got to go. But now it's just, like, yeah. oh, it's a, it's a birthday thing. This is an important thing. And, oh, we have a thing to do with, like, the kid and some family stuff. We're making up Easter from the weekend before. So it's just, like, you got to do that stuff. That's, like. You know, yeah, yeah. the Absolutely. important stuff, but it, I'm, yeah, it's more of a fashionable excuse than it's too expensive because everything's yeah. expensive now. <laughs> <laughs> I say just go and ask for forgiveness. Uh, it's that, easier to ask for forgiveness than <laughs> ask for permission. Exactly. Goes. Truth. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. Permission doesn't come as, as frequently uh, as, as take forgiveness notes. can. All, all the shows in my calendar. Twan, I'm going to go for it. See what happens. Yeah. Good luck. So Dan, you, you, you said, uh, VOD was all locals. The locals love incendiary though. Oh yeah. 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 I'm talking about, uh, the bands, um, not fans. Oh, right on. Right on. Yeah. 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 So there wasn't like, you know, like a band from, uh, maybe there might've been a band from upstate, but it was all pretty much like New York bands, uh, Long Island bands playing those shows. And there wasn't like a, Oh, like 
we need to maybe you know incentivize people so here's this great band from massachusetts and a great band from california playing this show in new york you know it was just like yeah it's vod and then like five you know bands that are either kind of new or have only played long island so far and it was still like you know 800 to a thousand people crazy insane how'd they even find out about it it's crazy yeah it is it, it is I, I i talked about this recently with someone like in the in like the pre social media pre even pre like internet like just as like AOL Instant Messenger was taken off and people were still getting the internet 250 hours at a time on a CD. <laughs> that's right. You know, like that's that was like the start of it kind of like spreading a little bit more, but before that you just, you know, ask a punk, you know, to <laughs> you know to turn the phrase. Like you had to know Truth. someone who was into it or like stumble upon it on accident. That was like you it was either or, you know, like there was it was like it was like Fight Club pretty much if you think about it. Were you the punk that people were asking, or were you? No, you know, I was a huge. I was went. a huge nerd. I fell backwards into it. I I was always into like metal and aggressive music and stuff like that. And then I was getting more into like prog, like Dream Theater type stuff. But I was like, I was a big into like Pantera, Slayer, Sepultura, like those type of like you know the the mainstream metal bands, but like the fathers of the sound, so to speak. And then um, my friend Dan, who I played D and D with. He would give me rides home from school every once in a while because we were like same friends group and uh, he lived like near me. So he'd be like, hey, you want to ride home? It's like, sure. And he would always be bumping like neglect, VOD, 25 to life, um, stuff like that. And like he was just like, you like heavy music, right? You'd probably like this. And then like he started like showing me like little bits more here and there. And then it was like a couple months later, he was like, hey, I'm going to a show. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah, you know, like I was in, you know, I was 17, I think at the time. And we drove out on Long Island. It was like the middle of winter. And my first show was, oddly enough, VOD and Glassjaw at uh, this like big Jewish center out in Levittown. I just remember walking in and, and just com- being completely amazed. That was actually my next question, like being in New York. And I know, it, I know it's Long Island, so maybe the train station or the train MTA system is may, maybe not as relevant. But were you going to shows? I guess you said 17 was your first show. Were you taking yeah. the train to go to shows and just access to different venues via train um no i mean long island it's not really accessible by train yeah. at all <laughs> you know you need at least a car to get that first step to the station okay so we can relate i was always like yeah. that was the excuse like new york you, you can just go to any show anytime at any age but now you were just out of the that. yeah yeah if, well, i mean if you were if you grew up in the boroughs and were more into like new york hardcore um and we're going to shows in like brooklyn in the city absolutely accessible by trains long island not so much it was it would be a rough go in 1997, 1998 for like a 17-year-old kid to get on a train and go to the city. You know, like that's, that's like a, a big ask, I guess, yeah. at the time, I guess, depending on who your parents are and how much they pay attention to what you do. <laughs> that's probably us going to Boston, right? I mean, it's yeah. an hour yeah. and a half ride for us from Southern Maine to get down there. At that age, it was always like, oh, we're going to Boston. Like, holy right. shit, this doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Well, it did for Nate because he used to knock on my classroom door while class is going. And he's like, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. It was like Deftones at the Axis. I'm like, dude, I, I can't. I'm in class. I don't have a ticket. The thing is, I saw it in your eyes that you were a nerd. And I was like, you really I know you actually want to do this. <laughs> it's like revert. It's like peer pressure, but it's in a good way. It's not like drugs. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, <laughs> right. other, it's other stuff. You know, it's the good kind of peer pressure. Exactly. Yeah. I, I hadn't really... I'd gone to maybe two concerts, like 
mainstream concerts like Madison Square Garden, Nassau Coliseum concerts before I started going to shows. I always wanted to go see live stuff more, but I just never had the opportunity to, whether like either my friends weren't into going to see it or like, I don't know, like my parents really wouldn't let me go, <laughs> you know, it's like Madison Square Garden by myself. So I'd have to like go with people and it was tough to find people to go with, especially because of the music that I liked. And then shows, it was different because like, you could just like, oh, it's in Deer Park. That's like 20 minutes away. You know, we're just going to get in so-and-so's car and drive. It's, that's not a big ask. You know, it's like, oh, I'm hanging out with my friend Andrew tonight. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Have fun. I'll see you guys later. And then like, I'd be like, you know, getting changed the next day. And you could see like sneaker prints. I remember this was an exact conversation I had with my mom. I saw Converge at uh, Club Pure in Mineola. It was like just after Jane Doe came out. So 2001, 2002 around then and the yep. room was probably about as as big as my bedroom wow maybe a 20 by 20 space it was like this like sunken dance floor of this goth club Jeez. and <laughs> yeah it was just like and because a lot of times that's how hardcore shows would happen is like you had to like double book against stuff i know a lot of places still do that too but it's just like yeah you could have your hardcore show up until 10 o'clock and then 10 15 we are you know, club ecstasy, you know, XTC. And then like, you know, you, it's got to be a hard change and hard out. But yeah, I saw them in a really small room, maybe like 75 people. And they were just like, I I'd just gotten Jane Doe like real, like real early on and was like stoked that they were playing. And I was getting changed like the next day. And my mom sees all the sneaker prints on me and you could see them like the, the Saucony triangles and like, <laughs> no, like Nike awesome. shoe prints, like all over my body. I'm like Nike covered dunks. in red marks. Yeah. And she's like, Danny, what happened? And I was just like, oh, I just went to that show yesterday. It's like, they did this to you on purpose? <laughs> and it's just like, I, I wanted this to happen. It's yeah, fine. This, this Don't is, worry about I, it. I wanted like, it all. Right. Yeah. Right. And I kind of like had to give my mom a brief explanation of like, yeah, we, people were just climbing on me. I was climbing on other people. We were having a great time. She's like, did you go with anyone you knew? It's like, I knew I was going to know people there. It's the same, like, you know, <laughs> 30 people I've been seeing at shows for 15 years. So like, let's go. <laughs> Dude, sidebar tangent, Danny. Hmm. One of those venues that turned into a nightclub, like sharp, 10 p.m. sharp, was Avalon on Lansdowne Street. I remember thinking, like, what? The show's ending at 9.50? So they yeah, can get into a club? Like, wow. Yep. Yeah, that's how it would work because, you know, it's not a profitable show for a venue to have. I mean, at that time, you know, like, it, was, it wasn't going to be a lot of people. Straight Edge was a, was a huge thing. You know, there was, this was at the time when they had like tables for this stuff at shows. There'd be like the animal rights table and they'd just be running the video of like, you know, like, don't eat meat. Here's why slaughterhouses are evil. Here's like a bunch of pamphlets and information about what we're doing. And like uh, Food Not Bombs was like there a lot. And then there was like the Straight Edge table where it was just like, hey, we don't do this and here's why. And here's, you know, like information about it, you know, like zines and what have you. And uh, so if a lot of people weren't going to be drinking, bars aren't really going to put this on and everyone's, you know, beating each other up like a bunch of maniacs. So it's a high chance for something to get broken, you know? They're not making any money on alcohol and you're worried about either people being broken or stuff being broken. Yeah, that, that's a tough sell. Yeah, it's a, you know, difficult. It, it, so that's why you wouldn't see the shows going later. But, you know, I mean, we, you know, still got it done. So you talk about like you were into Sepultura and Slayer. And you make the transition to the VODs of the world and yeah. neglect. And like, for us nerds, that's a leap. But when you're that young, and I was thinking about this, actually, I was talking about this with my wife, like on the spectrum of the history of music, mm -hmm. like Beethoven on one side, 
<laughs> bad luck 13 ride extravagance on the other like neglect and slayer are right next to each other in, yeah. in the broad spectrum so like as a 16 year old it totally makes sense it's just like the next extreme thing we can all relate to it mm. like we were new metal guys and then yep. you get into metalcore you know what i mean <laughs> you're guilty as charged uh yeah i mean that i got that was middle school for me new metal was the thing it was all those bands were happening when i was like in seventh eighth great you know like corn limp biscuit uh deftones you know like everything that was on trl the family values tour you know like shit like that like and so i was like oh cool more other heavy riffs you know and uh i think that's just what it was i just like the the heaviness and like the the like i guess the heavy aggressiveness of it and and then hardcore was just like it seemed like the next obvious evolution for me like as far as music goes when this is happening, are you at all thinking like, I want to play music too? Like, or is this just something that you're into it and down the line that happens? Um, I've been playing drums in school band, like fifth oh, grade, right fourth, fifth grade is I've started on like snare drum, rudim and stuff. And then I got kicked out of school band in sixth grade because they like were given the cool parts to a bunch of other kids. And I never really wanted to practice because like, I was just like hitting the parts that they were giving me. And then they were giving me like cowbell and woodblock parts because I didn't have my practice sheet signed. So I was, they, they were just like, yeah, you know, you could take a walk. And my dad was like, do you still want to play drums? Because my dad was a guitar player. He played in bands with his brother up until like his 20s or whatever. And so my dad was like, hey, do you want to still play drums? And I was like, yeah. He's like, all right you can work on my landscaping truck for the summer. And then before you go back to school, we'll probably get you a drum set. And I was like, all right, sick. <laughs> so, so he paid you $2 an hour. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, worth it though. Worth yeah. it. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> you, you and I have a similarity there. You quit band to, you know, pursue the drum dream, which worked mm -hmm. out. I quit mm -hmm. it to pursue the basketball dream, but being five, nine just isn't it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I mean, I'm, you're asking me questions on a podcast. I don't know if the NBA actually actually worked out for you or not. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. I'm going to take a guess and say probably not. <laughs> yeah, as he holds up like a champ NBA championship ring on his other hand, you know. <laughs> Tone, Tone would pull that. I wish. I wish. Uh, I, I've got rings from working at, at the lower levels, but that's different. That's a different story uh, for a different day. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, first band I was in, I was in like... I want to say like seventh grade. It was like right after I got kicked out of school band that summer, me, my friend Bill and this other kid who lived down the road, we started doing a band together. We played like, so we, we could play like 20 Beatles songs and almost the entire Nirvana catalog. And then a couple of other random songs here and there. That was like what we were doing. I think we were one original and we recorded it on a tape player boombox in my backyard <laughs> so it in sounded great yeah in my backyard yeah you can hear the wind blowing exactly dogs barking birds whole line but it, we were just like pumped to have it and then i got more seriously into bands probably like end of high school because that's when i found more people to play with pretty much but in between i was just like playing all the time and then i started like touring probably like i was like in a screamo band i was like in a like a a more like punk band, but a little bit more poppy, kind of like saves a day almost. And then I was like in a, I was like in a grind band for a little bit. And that, that's when I really started like, just like picking up more drum work and I just joining whatever bands would ask, just always say yes. So that actually brings up a question for me. Cause you said like you got kicked out of like the school band and they said it was a lot of cowbell. So like you were like, I'm not feeling the whole blue oyster cult thing. 
mm-hmm. but I'm liking this style instead. So is there like certain drummers? I always hear the same thing. The drummer from Faith No More is a big influence on a lot of people. Is oh, there like certain yeah. influences for you that are like, those are my go-tos and that's how I kind of form my own sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously that nailed it right on the head. Uh, Mike Borden, Faith No yep. More. Huge, nice. huge like player of the era. I was a big, I mean, huge Faith No More fan, big Mike Patton fan, like top to bottom, like all of his stuff. Vinnie Paul, Pantera, probably another one that's like helped me define what to be heavy wise. I li- like I, I, when I was like kind of getting my own style together, I listened to a lot of Dream Theater. So Mike Portnoy is another big one just for like fills and like handwork over steady double bass stuff. Him pretty much. Let's see. I'm trying to think of like other at, at like that early on of the time. Um, like the, fr- the first drummer from Every Time I Die was like a big influence hardcore for me. Ben from Converge, obviously, like Jane Doe on, it's like a completely different band. And it's when they kind of like gelled together pretty, pretty well. So I borrow a lot from him. Paul Klein from uh, Suburban Scum, The Banner, uh, a couple bunch of other bands too. Phantom Pain he does too. Once we started playing with them, like when, when we did the split with Suburban Scum, I, I, I say this a lot and I talk to Paul a lot about it too. We're, you know, still really, really good friends. Like, I was just like, when, when, when the first time I saw you play and like heard you play on record with Suburban Scum, I was like, shit, man, I gotta, I gotta work harder, <laughs> you know? And he's just like, uh, on my, I think on my current writing and playing styles, I think Paul's probably had the biggest pull on me nice. recently. Yeah. Well, I know you were in um, A Love for Enemies. Yeah. And the first time, I have a funny story. Actually, I haven't, I don't know why I would have told Tony or Nate this, but they haven't heard this story. The first time I ever heard the name A Love for Enemies was on eBay when I would search Crime and Stereo. I'm a big Crime and Stereo <laughs> fan. People trying to sell A Love for Enemies stuff would also put Crime and Stereo oh, in the title for hits. Wow. Yeah. And I was yeah, like, well, yeah. who is that? I, yeah, that was my first exposure. Wow. Yeah. So I had me and most of the people like throughout the iterations of Straight from the Path, we live in the same town down the block from each other. That's where we grew up in Selden. And so me and Tom would, me, Tom and Drew would literally hang out like almost every day. We were on like a roller hockey team together. Like a lot of us hardcore kids and the Love for Enemies guys played roller hockey with us. And a lot of the early Straight From The Path tours were with a Love For Enemies. They toured together a lot. Right after, I was like in between bands. It was like the, the one Screamo band I was in, I wasn't feeling anymore. I was just like, I gotta, I gotta do something else because it's just in isn't hitting it and I, I had gotten into a fight with the guitar player and i had flipped my car while we were on tour <laughs> so like it's just Damn. a lot of stuff that i was just like i gotta i gotta find something else and uh and tom goes yo alfie's looking to change their drummer you should hit them up you could play their song and i was like all right cool and he put me in contact with them and had it they gave me a couple of songs to learn and then i went to the tryout and they were like all right cool here's the tours we got coming up can you do them and i said yes <laughs> and uh and then we just started practicing. I was, I was in that band for about a year. So let's jump to Incendiary. Because so yeah. that was, what year was that actually? Love for Enemies. Was that 06 maybe? 05, 06? Yeah, it was the end. It was 2007. So I started with them in November of 06. And I was with them until probably May of 07. And then Incendiary, I started playing in, I think, September of 07. I got a question. I just thought of this. A question about the name Incendiary. Mm-hmm. Has it ever caused you problems touring? 
Oh, what like getting stopped at? Like, yeah, in like a guitar, a guitar uh, case has incendiary on it. Yeah, the airport's like what the <laughs> hell is this? Yeah, we've we've gotten pulled out for random checks a lot. <laughs> but after, random like, checks. Yeah, from flying a lot, and you know, after like the tenth time, you know, it's not random, especially when it says like incendiary on the bag, and then it's just like pedals and cables and wires and stuff, so it looks like a bomb anyway. Right. <laughs> so we're kind of asking for. It, but i hear terror has it worse with their stuff <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, good point. So, <laughs> i've yeah. heard of that yeah especially uh with like tsa and yeah geez. yeah well and you, you sure. come up with a you come up with a cool name and then you're like you don't realize you're tied to it forever until it's you're tied to it forever you're like <laughs> until they start shit. having problems with it you know like but then it's just like ah small price yeah. to pay for you know sounding cool i guess imagine being tim comerford <laughs> During TSA, like Rage Against the Machine on your on your luggage, like what machine are you talking? Are you talking about TSA? Yeah. Take this personally. Oh, um, funny callback. The drummer from VOD is a TSA agent. We he oh. was we were wow. in his line at LaGuardia one time. So sick. <laughs> he got it. He was like, these guys are fine. He greased you through. He, he, get, he gets it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you're, you're, I liked your last album, but the one before that was better. Okay, you guys have a great play. <laughs> Everybody's a critic, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I need you to step aside, guys. <laughs> so how do you, so pretty much coming off the heels of I Love for Enemies, you join Incendiary. Was there a tryout? Was it people you knew? Or how was, how'd that go down? Similar story to Alfie. It was uh, Tom. Again, uh, he was, it, so I, had, I was not an Alfie anymore. And, you know, just from hanging out with Tom, he was just like, there's this other band called Incendiary. Three of their dudes just moved out of state, but the bass player and the singer want to keep doing it. And they're pulling in a couple of people. You know, the bass player, Dan, you should talk to him and hit up Dan. I had known Dan for a while. Um, I met him through a friend that I made working at Hot Topic, my one of my assistant managers played in a band, uh, another Long Island hardcore band with him called Center of Zero. And so I knew about that band and a bunch of other like local hardcore stuff through them. And so I knew Dan for a while, but we, we never were like, hey, what's up? You want to hang out, friend? You know, we were just like, oh, because we know so many people, we're just going to see each other and we're cool with each other kind of thing. So I hit up Dan and he knew me and was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, and there was a different guitar player. Uh, we had this other guy, Kevin, playing guitar before Brian. And then um, just Kevin didn't really work out after a little bit. And we had Audley fill in. And then it was just like, hey, instead of filling in, how about you just be in the band? So uh, early on when you guys are kind of gelling, getting together here, mm -hmm. your years, what, six years in between records this list last time. And before that was, I think, five. Mm -hmm. So did you guys ever talk about like how you, what you had for a vision for the band was it always going to be something that took its time and maybe didn't necessarily you know two years tour like crazy two years tour like crazy on each record we i mean that's like one of the i think things that makes the band work the best is that we've all always been on the same page the entire time we we were all a little bit older when we started the band i was like in my late 20s everyone else was like the early mid 20s finishing up school working regular nine to five jobs whatever we were doing at the time and so we didn't really have like oh we're gonna go on tour for three weeks or you know we didn't have that you know we didn't have that type of flexibility or mobility in our schedules so it was always just like let's just do the most that we can with the time that we're afforded 
and just try to like maximize our free time doing this because this is fun and I like you guys <laughs> and I would much prefer to play this drums to this music than anything else. So let's just get it going. As far as like the pacing for the records, that's not like really a plan at all. It was, it's just like, okay, let's write 10 songs now. And then we do it. And then it's just like, okay, that's good. Let's, we'll play those for a while. And then we never had this like pressing urge. It's not like, you know, part of our record contractors, we have to put out, you know, X amount of records over so many years. We didn't have that kind of like pressure. It was just pretty much just like, whenever you guys got a record, let me know <laughs> and we'll put it out. So that's, um, that's nice. Yeah. 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 So we never had that kind of pressure. And it was just always just like, um, I guess like an internal dialogue with the band. And, and then it was just like, hey, I, I got a couple of new riff ideas. You want to mess around a little bit. And then it's just like one song. And then, you know, the heat catches. And, now, and then it's like, oh, cool. We have four songs now. You want to, yeah, let's just keep going. We know we're, we don't have a record due at any time. So let's see how many songs we can get. And then once we start getting around like eight or nine, it's just like, okay. We almost got 10. Let's get like, let's start scheduling time somewhere to record and try to get this figured out. And that's just pretty much the way it's been the whole time. Wow. You, you said something that just caught my ear like for a second there. Because you've been playing music for so long, is there like a backlog of things that you've written, call it drum fills, whatever, that may have not fit prior projects? So you were like, I'm going to save this because it's good enough for something. And then you click and you're like, this is actually for incendiary. Hmm. That's a great question. I, the, the way I play and write and work within a dynamic, I always write to the song. I don't just try to write a part to write a part or play a fill because I, I like this fill and I came up with it and you know I need to use it somewhere. I, I, I pretty much just listen and feel how the song's going and then just try to have the drums sit with that, with the, you know, sprinkle some... Uh, some flair and sprinkles, you know, all over it here and there. But as far as fills go, I, and, and parts and stuff, I usually am just like writing to the way the song is working out. Interesting. That, I just, that's the, that was the answer I was hoping for because that's, I oh, feel cool. like I'm a reactor. So as a drummer, I just, I'm always curious. Is it something you're just, things are just coming at you left and right and you're writing it down or are you reacting? You're clearly, you're reacting to whatever art's presented to you and you kind of collaborate in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. You know, the, just, you just listen and you kind of just like, you think in I think in my head like what's the best drum part that I could put to this that I could put to this not some That's you know cool. not like another drummer or whatever but like from what I know and how I play what is the best thing that I could do for this and then try to do it and then you know you get notes or you know suggestions from other guys in the band it's funny because they always make the the drum noises with their mouth and just move their hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just like, okay, the, the beat you're saying with your mouth is physically impossible for someone to do with just <laughs> two hands and two feet. <laughs> so let's try to figure out something that can Grow work. some more feet, man. Like, come yeah, on. <laughs> I know. Fuck me, right? Well, actually, hey, have you seen, there was a TikTok video that was going viral and on Instagram too, a Reels. It was a guy, it was a drummer who basically put his bass drum where his snare is and he used mallets on the bass for double bass mm -hmm. and he crushed it like is that is yeah. that weird like what is, what was going on with that video? that was i think that the title of that video was the easiest way to play bleed by mashuga because it's a notoriously <laughs> oh, yeah. crazy double bass part and so it's it would just be easier to keep a steady four count because that's what like the the symbols are in that it's just like just a very pulsing four and everything else underneath it is crazy 
So it's easier just to rock the hi-hat pedal making the, the sound like that. And then the snare is just on two and four with your foot. And then you're just going, you know, you're playing that parada rhythm with your hands, you know? So it's the easier way to play. It's the, the cheating way to play uh, bleed. <laughs> Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, hey, your approach is, it's definitely worked because you're here 15 years later. Because like, imagine if two of you guys were not on the same page back in 2007, you guys wouldn't be, yeah. probably wouldn't be a band. Nah. And if you were, it'd be a different band, you know? Exactly, exactly. And that's like, um, like a pitfall. I think that happens with bands sometimes, especially when they start getting a little bit of momentum. People have different availabilities and expectations of what the band is going to be. So out of the, let's just say for argument's sake, there's five people in the band. If two of those guys are like, yeah, um, you know, like I'm getting married next year and I can't leave my wife alone all the time. Or one of the guys is just like, yeah, I have a career. Like I'm advancing at my job. This is what I want to do for my life. The band is absolutely, totally fun, but I can't quit my job. It's not like a pizza delivery job and you could just go back after a month of tour, you know? So right. it's just like, and then you have three guys that want to just tour full time because they don't have responsibilities the same as the other two do. There's going to be a lot of pull and there's going to be a lot of things that you say no to that three people are going to resent the other two over. And then what happens, you know, a couple of years later, maybe you change the, the two people who can't tour so much, change them out. And now it's like you said, it's going to be a different vibe, a different feel to the band. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to have that same kind of flavor. I mean, the we can relate to that on a smaller scale. Obviously, uh, sticking together as friends. For, we've been friends for 25 years. Hell and yeah. this is one of those things that it's like, all right, sometimes I have availability to do this, and then Nate has it to do that. Or you bring everybody together to try to make it work you know, once a week or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine if they were touring and all that other shit. That, and, yeah. and obviously, it's a bigger scale. You're playing shows in front of you know hundreds to thousands of people, depending on where you're at. It's got to be like you either you all have to be on the same page or it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you all kind of have to want the same thing in the same way, you know, it, it, you know, someone just can't be like, Oh, okay, well we'll do it till we get to here and then stop. But if like everyone else is still cool with going up a little bit, you know, then it's just going to be like, eh. <laughs> but you know, thank, thankfully we're, we all kind of have been on the same page since the beginning. And like I said, I think that attests to a lot of the songwriting and longevity of the band in general. I was just going to say, I feel like that's a blessing in disguise because there's not like a hard, hey, this band's going on indefinite hiatus because they, behind the scenes, it's a fucking shit show. Instead, mm -hmm. you guys are just direct like, hey, we have our life. Let's make the best possible product we can when we're active and then kind of continue that, you know, that cycle. And that's yeah. a great, great plan. I, but again, wasn't a plan. We just fell ass backwards into this, this model of, of how the band works. And it's just, knock on wood, worked out well for us so you know blessed be Dan, you're <laughs> the first hardcore band in history to not have a former members section on wikipedia <laughs> wow that's crazy it probably hasn't been updated in a decade but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a twin is that just you looking just now or that's me looking at it right <laughs> okay. now yeah There's i know no... we, we don't have the uh, shia Lude xl spreadsheet of former members <laughs> but... <Damn> it, right? <laughs> box is the only one and he's probably gone at this point he's, no i think he's still doing it man he's still he's, doing yeah, it yeah yeah he's, he's i think he is the only og in the band he's carrying the torch man god bless him but um yeah we we've had a couple of different bass players and it's like i said that one other guitar player but i mean me brendan brian and rob have been 
you know, like the, the steady four for um, pretty much the whole time, 2007 on. Let's talk new music. Is yeah. it time? It's that, time. That's where I was yeah. headed to, yes. <laughs> yes. Change the way you think about pain, closed casket activities, May 26th. We've heard the album. We love it. Oh, cool. Thank you. It's, it's funny. I was going to say it's a level up, but like your previous releases are like <laughs> already a level up. So like, but we love it. We've heard the whole thing. We've listened to it a bunch. I know at this point, what, two songs are out to the public, mm-hmm. Bite the Hook and Echo Nothing. Mm-hmm. So to me, as a lifelong incendiary fan, I think this is the heaviest release. Oh, cool. Thank you. Was I'm that intentional? So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you have a group nice. meeting like, nice. like uh, five years ago when you start writing this, you're like, guys, let's go heavy. We're just going this way. Yeah. Uh, no, we actually di- also didn't start writing it five years ago. We only started writing like once practice spaces opened back up after lockdown 2020. And then also we had been finished with the record for about a year <laughs> before we got a release wow. date for it. So Crazy. we wrote it between 2020 and like end of 2021. And then we recorded it uh, 20, March of 22. It was like my birthday weekend. We recorded it. And that's, that's usually about our length of writing time as well. But uh, thank you for thinking it's the heaviest one so far. We, we definitely made a conscious effort to increase the mass of, uh, of the songs. It, it, it's there. I mean, having listened to, through it a, a handful of times now and prepped to talk to you, it's, it's definitely there. And, and it's, it's appreciated, I'll say. It's yeah. a, I love that. <laughs> that's what we were going for, you know, lower IQ on, uh, on a lot of the stuff. So you've, it's been done for over a year. That's wild. You've been sitting on it as any particular reason that waited till 23 to put it out? Just getting the, you know, like, I mean, it takes forever to press records nowadays. And especially when, when we were finished with it, like everyone else who was writing during, you know, uh, lockdown was also putting out their records. So there was a pretty long queue for the, for the, for the pressing uh, for the records and stuff. And we were like, it was like towards the end of last year, it was like, do we want to put it out in December because everyone's going to forget about it? You know, January comes around or whatever, you know, what would be a better time to put it out? And uh, it was like rush and get it out at the end of the year in 22 or like take a little bit more time and have it like exactly the way that we want it and have it come out a little bit later. So, you know, we chose the, the latter over the former. I love the de- delayed gratification is like in the incendiary business plan time and time again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, we love to, we love to edge everybody. That's like our, our claim to fame. <laughs> I, I love it, man. Uh, dude, I listened to the record, the advance that we got from your label, it, it kind of plays in a loop. So I think it played like three times when I, the, I was at the gym, just nonstop. And I was like, this is fucking epic. And, um, I got to say, this isn't just like saying it to say it, but um, we all notice that the drums are very, very forward on the record, whether it's the production or just overall, just in your face, which we love. And for me personally, growing up, one of my best friends, uh, rest in peace, he's no longer with us, but he always told me like, pay attention to the drummer and everything else comes secondary to that, which I thought was <laughs> a cool like insider note because he was a drummer. And ever uh-huh. since I just paid attention, but this record makes it very easy what like what is it with this record where that came through was that like intentional was it the production or the producer i don't want to call it a, like a lars Ar- Ulrich like cheat code but 
um i again i think that's just the way that it worked out with the mix and everything like that also i think with because tra- traditionally like when we go into record i i use the formula keep it simple stupid yep because if you try to i mean me personally if i try to overplay or do like a lot of crazy stuff that i could maybe pull out live recording if you like mess it up and you keep messing up and then me personally i get in like a weird death spiral you know where it's just like just gonna keep fucking this song up and you're wasting everybody's time and then because of that i do worse 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 so traditionally for recording is just like i just make it simple but make it heavy you know like like a lot of pantera breakdowns are like that you know it's just like simple floor on the floor you know like that but it's it with what's going on with the guitars it's really really heavy this one i think i tried to write more drum riffs like memorable type stuff and the the guitar stuff that was coming up at practice i think also too uh brian and rob both kind of like pushed me to play drums better on this record and make it more of like a like an exclamation point or to the front and then just the i guess the recording process because uh we went with will putney again and we recorded drums in a different like house than the rest of the album was done he has this like drum cabin that two of his other engineers record bands at uh shout out matt and randy and it's this huge log cabin and the drum room is just like this big wood room and it was the first time because he had just gotten all this stuff together. So it was like the first time he was using that room for, for drums on like a full length. So I think he was excited <laughs> to hear how the drums sounded, which yeah, maybe worked in my favor that they're a little bit more forward in the mix, but it's all good. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. Uh, you said something that kind of resonated with me, which is ex- exclamation point. Cause like when I was listening to the record, I could feel the drums. Like you, you can, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to describe, but like I could feel you like hitting the drums as hard as you could. At least that's how it came across. And this is going to be a weird parallel, but like the first time I had that feeling was on Enema of the State with Travis. Mm. You could feel he is smashing the drums and you can totally feel it with this record. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think it was just overall being totally pumped about everything about this record and just like going into it like, like I'm, running downhill face first you know just like hell yeah yeah <laughs> that's awesome that's a great way to put it fourth you know full length for you guys what makes this one special um i think with with each subsequent full length release it's like tightening the focus on a lens where the more songs we write and the more i more comfortable we are playing and writing with each other the more, I guess, precise and I guess overall better the, the songs get. So, so I think this is kind of just like, it's just all one idea just continued through as far as like writing goes. And I think with this one is just like the, the, the best of, like if you take the best four songs off of Thousand Mile Stair, which is like, you know, and then you make a whole record out of it. You know, and then all of Thousand Mile Stairs maybe like the four best songs of Cost of Living, you know, and then we just take that and we just like try to stretch it out and like, you know, just just get get the best parts of everything that we did before and then come up with new better parts, you know, to, to add to that. Just honing it, honing it down into yeah. this like 
perfect little thing that every time we do something, it's perfect. And we're going to do it again and again and again. Yeah. 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 And a lot of bands, you know, will write 15 songs and then pick the best 11 or 12 or 10 for the record. We're, we were always like, we're writing 10 songs and let's just get these 10 songs the best that we could get them. I love that. It's a concentration. It's like a Japanese philosophy, right? Just let's make the absolute best product and not fuck around mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, uh, no chaff, you know, all wheat. Yeah, dude. So this record, like, uh, Anthony was saying, Tone was saying like, it's, it's solid. It's fucking, it's perfect really. And like you were just saying, it's one of the few like styles of music that if I went to a show and you guys did play the record, like you were just alluding to in a, in sequence front to back, I would actually be stoked. Whereas some bands like play it and they want to promote their new record. And it's like, dude, I get it, but I want to hear some old shit. This actually would translate really well front to back, just out of the fucking gate. Like you guys play, you get on stage, and you just go th go for it. With that said, is there certain songs in the record for you that stand out? Like I can't wait to fucking slay that on stage. Oh yes. Okay, I'm gonna start this off with the caveat. I love this. I love this. Hit us with it. Yeah, let's I'm go. going to have to look up the actual names of the songs. That's okay. Be that's okay. This happens all the time. Yeah. You're one of many that's like, I know, I know the number. Like it's number host, six. Host parasite obviously is one. I know, I know the silly names that we had. This is the VOD riff. Yes. This is the yep. Mike Patton drum fill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's like we had we have a, like one of the songs off of Thousand Mile Stare. The working title was Converge, and so I just know it is that because we there was like maybe like a three second part that sounded like a Converge song to me, and like nice the way I write, I kind of like. I do it like words and sentences. Like I read, that's how I write songs. I see it as like word, like drum parts as words, if you could follow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like to help me remember, I'm always like writing down like little notes and phrases, like in order and how many times you play the Rambo part or how many times you play, you know, and I'll use mnemonic devices to remember how patterns and songs go. You know, there was a, a part in a song. I couldn't remember how it went and just like, the syllables is just like it's my dad's birthday you know like that's how i remembered the part of the song <laughs> i mean that i love that because that's the first time i've heard something like that from anybody yeah. we've heard a lot of cool shit on this podcast we're 160 something episodes in but that i've never heard and i Dude, fucking love it i got the visual i got the zach galvanakis fucking meme with like the equation going through his head like <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly what it is and um what's it called I'll, I'll get back to the actual answer to the question but i enjoy talking about this kind of like writing aspect and, and thinking about music or whatever but i use a whiteboard when we record and i have what's called i call them like roadmaps it's just like the notes app in my phone i anything that we wrote on the giant post-it note in the practice space as far as the order of how a song goes like the parts i'll put it in my phone and then when we go to record i just write it on a whiteboard and uh and i just look at the whiteboard and i know oh that's how that part goes straight down the right you know straight down the run until i memorize the song I'm going to guess it's my dad's birthday is the product is you. <laughs> no, that's um, force and neglect. The end. It's my dad's birthday. That's awesome. For a while on the set list, force and neglect was dad's birthday. You know? So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. The, the, I think the, yeah, uh, Rats in the Cellar, that one. Nice. That was the first song me and Brian started writing. Uh, the working title on that one is 316 because we basically, the first practice, put that song together in like 45 minutes to an hour. And 
the song has changed very little since then. Little tweaks, changes, transitional stuff, but for the most part, the the DNA of that song has been the same since the beginning. And I've really been looking forward to playing that one more than more than anything. It's it's got a Pantera Bell part. It's got a ass beater breakdown part. You know, it's got cool little, you know, drum parts here and there, like during the breaks. So I, that's probably out of all of them the one I'm looking forward to the most. Hell yeah, dude. How difficult are the fills at the beginning of Echo of Nothing for you? Oh, not not really. I mean, it's just all just like just it's just around the snare and toms, you know, like just straight 30 second notes. It's, Can you tell I'm not a drummer? I was going to say, we don't play drums. You're like John Bonham. Easy. <laughs> uh, actually, well, I mean, it depends on what, but not a lot of his stuff is easy. He's got credible feel, but conversation for another time um but yeah another thing another thing that i tried to do on this one is like and i did it on thousand miles stair too is write drum parts that i didn't know how to play yet and then through developing the song i would learn how to play those parts pretty good i did that and that's why there's like a lot more double bass stuff on this because it's just like yeah i'm just gonna do a lot of double bass on this record and i'm gonna have to get used to it because (laughs) and then just from practicing you know, we would do like either one or two practices a week, you know, just from practicing the songs that much. I got way better at double bass. So it worked. <laughs> nice, dude. I Good love workout it. too. I mean, damn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's like playing soccer full time. Speaking of full time, little segue here. Nerd, very nerd question. Changing gears oh, big time. But we're curious because we're always curious internally. Like, God damn, if we podcasted full time, could we make this our thing? And for you, like you guys have a very segmented schedule in terms of releases and when you guys tour is it ever does it ever cross your mind like yo guys like we we're pretty solid our fan base is growing live music is coming back in a fucking giant way is there does it ever cross your mind or everyone else's mind like maybe we should go full tilt on this um you have to be curious of what it could be we we pretty much know you know at this point what it could be but also at this point like none of us can just walk away from everything that we've built our lives up in addition to this band, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't even know all of the stuff that we've said no to over the years. If, if, I mean, if we could probably publish a book on tours we've turned down and people would like cut their toes off. It's just like, Oh my God, I can't believe you. Give us a couple. I remember a while back it was just like, Oh, do you want to do a month in Europe with, terror and comeback kid like stuff like that you know like right guaranteed yeah. crusher tours mm-hmm. you know like full us with so-and-so you want to do canada with these guys you know and it's just like yeah ugh, really love to but uh we can't take a month off of stuff <laughs> you know as much Life as we would like in the to way, man i mean yeah. and when you're an adult and you've got responsibilities that that are around you know family and and the work stuff and it's tough it's tough i'm sure that yeah. sucks to say no to but it, you're doing it for a reason. It, it stings, but, you know, at the same time, it's just like, you know, like, it's what, if, if, if we did that, then what are we going to do with it? You know, like, we'd all have to come back and try to get back into the, you know, careers that we had, either at the same job or someplace else. You know, I don't, I don't think uh, any of our jobs would give us off for a month and a half to go be knuckleheads with a bunch of other fun guys you know so low iq music as you said (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) 
play that uh, hate, your, hate Your Father, Kill Your Mother music. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I mean, the only people that I know that are able to pull this off that aren't ginormous bands, they like work at concert venues. So it's like goes mm-hmm. hand in hand. Yeah. Or are working service industry like bartenders or servers at restaurants and stuff like that. And stuff where if they're good, you know, they, they could disappear for a month and then come back and still have a job. Yeah, that's that's tough, and because you're obviously very good at this, this the quote unquote side project. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you you guys could go do that, but at some point, like you've got to come back to reality and and live your life, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not always going to be there. Like we're not you're not always going to be able to play double bass at a breakneck speed, right? So yeah, <laughs> I get yeah. it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, man. Even the Mona Lisa's falling apart. So. We follow you on Twitter, and you retweeted something. It was a tweet that some guy said, which was basically like, Knock Loose is playing Coachella, Turnstiles playing arenas, heavy mm-hmm. music doesn't have a ceiling. Yeah. Like, what is incendiary's ceiling? Our, or vacation, is there not our vacation time is the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. You know? What I would like to see, like, as far as scaling, like, the, I guess as high as I'd like to take it is just to, you know, just to have people are enjoy our music in perpetuity, just always have someone be like, Hey, I like this band, you know, whether it's 10,000 people, a hundred thousand people or 50 people, just, you know, maybe someone comes across as one day, 50 years from now. And is just like, Oh, this is pretty heavy. I dig it. You know, just like the same way, like when I heard, you know, like black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin, you know, when I was 15 and that was the music from 30 years ago. I would like to have something like that, you know, whether it makes me a million dollars or 50 cents. Also, I couldn't care less, but just being able to, to, to play and have people enjoy like stuff that I've written, I think is way more valuable. That's an awesome answer because it's a true answer and you're not putting way too much pressure on yourself there. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't, it's art. You're having fun with it. You guys are clearly killing it. Why not just like you want to leave a mark? Hell yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think when the, when the pressure's off and that, and that means, you know, as far as, like, having to use music to support your life, your family, whatever, unless you were at that top, top level, it's difficult to stitch that together. And, but, and then also the, the other side of that is you sacrifice time with the people that you love being out there making the money. It's not like you have a job that you come home to at the end of every night. You have a job that you come home to at the end of every month for two weeks and then you have to be out again. It's difficult. And, you know, hats off to all of the people who have been like touring full time, even people that I grew up with that are still doing it because I know it's difficult for time wise and stuff like family life and stuff that happens like that. But it, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see people still doing it in that way too. Man, I'm happy you brought that up because five minutes ago when I was like, why wouldn't you do this full time? Like when I asked the question, like, is it ever crossed your mind? Like I would, if I was as good as you did, I would, I wouldn't think twice about it. But then you brought it back down to earth, like being away from family. I've, I've been a newborn, like always one year old now, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, would I really do that months on end? Uh, no, I would just say no in less than half a second because it's just like, it's painful because I travel now weeks on end my job currently and it's mm. i still get to come back after just a week and tours are like months long so therefore yeah i mean it's got to be it's got to be make or break and it's got to be 
those big bands that get the lavish hotels and bring their families with them. It's a different game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or are, you know, on the younger side and might not have started a family already, you know? They might That's just a have like a, yep. yeah, they might just have a significant other or fiance or whatever. And it's easy to bring one person around, you know? And then also, especially when you're getting older, you have a lot of older family members and stuff like that too. So you try to maximize the time that you get to spend with them as well. So Dan, this is a question we asked. We first introduced it when we had Harold and Joey from Koyo on. Oh. And we're going to hit you with it. Yeah. What is your Mount Rushmore? Of Long Island Records. Ooh. Wow, Long Island Records. I thought you were going to say bands. Great, Long Island Records. Okay. Mount Rushmore, so I got to pick four? Four, yeah. Okay. And you can throw your own band, own bands nah. uh, in there. Nah, I, I, I don't smell my own farts, man. Um, <laughs> I like it, I like it. Keep going. <laughs> All right. Top four. Okay. Glassjaw, everything you ever wanted to know about silence. Nice. I'm going to say Silent Majority Life of a Spectator. You're two for two, man. Keep going. <laughs> so is this like my personal favorite or what? Yeah, I your personal. Yeah. Oh, yep. Personal. Okay, personal favorite. Okay. Uh, VOD Green Album. That was the first hardcore CD that I bought. And hmm, Backtrack Demo. Nice. Which I have in, I think, one of my shirt drawers back here or I think might be over there. I have, it, it's always it within like, arm's length. It was, <laughs> I'm shitty at unpacking and I never like I because I have fucking rap brains I have just stuff hidden all over too and uh I can relate yeah I think because that CD was in with a bunch of stuff and I was probably putting stuff on multiple countertops and shelves at the time I was just like oh this goes here and I just put it there for the time being and I just never got around to moving it <laughs> I think we can all relate yeah we can all relate to that yeah I heard some re repeat answers with the Koyo guys. They had Life of a Spectator. They had VOD self-titled. They had, what else they have? Oh, Did they have uh, on there or no? King Nine, Scared to Death. Oh. I can't remember the, the yeah, other one. I, I mean, the honorable mention list, way too long. You know, Long Island yeah. has, uh, has a tendency to churn out great musicians and bands and stuff like that. Not just hardcore, but across the board. I mean, you know, Billy Joel, ever hear that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he came up. He came up when we were talking to those guys. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's plenty out there. I mean, you, it's a pretty rich history, and, and we've obviously chronicled it a couple times here, but super mm. stoked to have you tell us about your band and all that oh. stuff, too. So, Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. I, I dig talking to people. You know, uh, It's something that I've always tried to carry about myself. You know, like, see me at a show or whatever, just I will talk to you for as long as you want to talk to me for, because I... I wouldn't be at that venue playing that show if it wasn't for the people there seeing me play mm -hmm. and buying the tickets and buying the shirts and buying the records and liking us and, you know, being interested in what we do. So I have nothing but time for anyone like that. Don't, don't tempt us. Don't tempt us. <laughs> oh, dude, we got time. No, well, it's been a while since you've been to Maine because we, I think we spoke with, yeah. when we spoke with Brendan, he said you guys may have played the cave, but uh, there's a, Maybe back in the day, or maybe he went there as a spectator. He, he went there. He went to UNH, so he probably yeah. hung out in Maine a lot. I don't think we've ever played Maine. I think that's the that in Rhode Island might be the only two New England states we haven't played. 
Drive right through Rhode Island. Come on right up to Portland. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, a, a, buddy of y'all, a buddy of ours has like a huge property up in Maine. So, I mean, it's good excuses. I need to go up there and hang Great out. Great excuse. Especially well, hey, in the summer when it, it's hit nice. Up, uh, hit up Chris Link. You, you know Chris Link. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cruel Hand. Yeah, he, yeah. He's been booking shows up here between tours. And uh, there's a venue that's like a 300 cap. Cool. You guys All would right. sell it out. Just saying, hit up Chris Link. Sell it out in seconds. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think I got to make some emails. Yep. There you go. <laughs> yep. Use the Patio Slave referral code. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be a great great show. I'd love to see uh, you guys you could, come. You could do there. a you could do a live uh, podcast at the show. There you we, go. We would Ooh. do that. Yeah, we'd we'd hold you to that. We've got the we've got All the right. apparatus. Hey, I mean, if you if you book us, we will come. So. I think we should probably work on that. I think that would be a cool crossover. Oh, man. Real of dreams. Nerdery of dreams. Very much so happening in real time, Drink. If you book it, they will come. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Do we have anything else? Do you want to plug anything else? Yeah. We got shows coming up. A bunch of them are close to selling out or already sold out. We got, well, we're playing the adjacent fest in Atlantic City. That's going to be Memorial Day weekend. Totally excited for that one. Callback, Blink-182 is the big, the big name that day. I'm nice. still to play with Coheed and Cambria, Hell to be yeah. honest. <laughs> oh, and uh, New Jersey Heartthrobs Folly, I think, are also playing that day. So still to, uh, nice. to hang out with those guys as well. Little we ska got... with some breakdowns? Yeah, man. Can't go wrong. <laughs> they crush it in New Jersey. It is amazing. We got Chicago at the Metro with Drain. That's going to be a cool one. June 2nd. Uh, we got Tied Down in Detroit. Our record release is at the Brooklyn Monarch on June 17th. We got Philly at the uh, Underground Arts. That's uh, June 23rd. You know, it's warm up for This Is Hardcore. And then we got, we got some uh, other stuff coming up too. So uh, stay tuned. We're probably going to be announcing some cool stuff soon. And uh, it'll be a great time. Hope to see everyone out there. Hell yeah. And, and the record. The record's coming out in a couple of weeks. This is dropping probably March, yeah. uh, May 8th. So the record drops on May 26th. Yeah. Streaming everywhere. And if you're ordering a copy, I would uh, highly suggest getting that soon because the first press is almost sold out. So, yeah. And it might even be gone by the time this actually airs. It might even be gone by the time this airs. Yeah, I know a lot of the the, the limited run colors are already out and uh, it's going fast. So get over to Closed Casket and uh, get yourself a record. You, actually, that just brought me to like one last question. Do you, will you yeah. guys have that record for sale at those shows? Ooh, good question. At the record release, yes. I think we might have it for Adjacent Fest. Nice. I'm not, don't quote me on that, but we might. So let's head over to the merch booth to go to those shows. <laughs> go buy, buy a shirt yeah, show anyway. Up and, show up and find out. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah, dude. I'll try to make that 1720 show in LA. Speaking of your. Oh, mouth, yeah. Mount Rushmore slash touring mates Glassjaw. I tried to see them at that at that venue. So I'm excited, stoked to see you guys in general, but also check out that venue. Apparently it's like one big warehouse or something. Yeah, yeah. We played there uh twenty nineteen. Did a headliner there. It was like pretty much a close casket showcase. It was such a great time. Nice. Uh, can't wait to get back there and play. And then Chain Reactions already sold out. So nice. that's gonna be a Man. that's gonna be a fun one too. I always wanted to play there. Well, Dan, thank you for joining us tonight and uh, excited for all that's coming uh, from the incendiary camp here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a blast. We had a great time. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Danny. 
Thank you for listening to Patio Slave. We are at Patio Slave on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places that you can find us on social media. Facebook, Patio Slave Podcast. YouTube, Patio Slave Podcast there. Email us at patioslavepodcast at gmail.com. And hey, if you want to become a supporter, click on the link at the bottom of the episode and give us a dollar, give us five bucks. It keeps the lights on, keeps us going. We really appreciate that stuff. Thank you.